Welcome to episode 18 of the Drug Training Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about human trafficking with Kyle Baker. Kyle's a detective in the San Francisco Bay Area. Initially, he started out as a narcotics detective, but then Kyle became an expert in human trafficking while investigating commercial sex cases. Since then, Kyle's developed a human trafficking course for California Post and teaches for state narcotics officers associations and regional intelligence centers. Welcome to the Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves, a police officer who spent 28 years specializing in drug investigations and who regularly teaches law enforcement officers, private businesses, and concerned families on spotting and dealing with drug use. This podcast is the essential resource for both professionals and individuals who need practical help, advice, and insight. Now, here's your host, Keith Graves. This episode of the Drug Training Podcast is brought to you by OnlineDrugTraining.com. OnlineDrugTraining.com has the classes that I teach in the classroom, but it's online. You can learn about marijuana DUI investigations, fentanyl safety, fentanyl investigations, and much more. So head on over to OnlineDrugTraining.com to find a class that you want to take and input coupon code DTP at checkout and receive 10% off your next class. Kyle, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are and why you're here? Keith, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know our, our paths have crossed a few times. I've taken a few of your classes over the years, and uh, we were almost neighbors for a few days there before you yeah. headed on up to uh, to Idaho. So yeah. it's good to connect with you. Um, I am a police officer for Pittsburgh Police Department, uh, which is in kind of the greater San Francisco area. Uh, for those that may not be familiar, I basically, if you drew a line between Sacramento and San Francisco, we're about halfway through that. So that'll play into what we talk a little bit about human trafficking as well as narcotics uh, as we kind of navigate today. But I've been here since 2010, uh, so going on year number 12. Uh, the first part of my career was kind of centered around patrol, uh, street crimes unit, field training officer, um, as well as joining the SWAT team in 2013. Um, then in 2016, I got selected as a detective, uh, which was kind of interesting. The, the original assignment was as a narcotics detective. So I'd worked a couple years on our street team, learned how to write warrants and such like that. And so I was super excited to come up and start working dope. Uh, but then kind of something very interesting happened, and that was my first human trafficking case. Um, just a, a kind of a quick snippet on that. Uh, it's kind of a funny story. Not a funny story for the case, but a, at least how it transpired. Uh, my boss came to me one day, and as the new guy, I'm like, "Hey, Kyle, I got something for you." And I'm like, "Oh, cool. What do we got? What do we got? Pounds, kilos? Where are we going? Who are we working with?" And they're like, "He's uh, you gotta slow down a little bit. And it's a human trafficking case." And I'm like, a, "A what? Like, what does that even mean?" And at the time, we had another detective working human trafficking, but of course, he was he was probably at some conference that week, and and I was the next guy in in line. And so when I started looking at the case, I found out that a 14 year old girl uh, had been victimized by a gang member in Pittsburgh. She had been taken to a hotel in Concord. Um, she had been enticed to introduce her 15 year old friend who was at volleyball practice at another local high school. And essentially three men took these girls uh, to a hotel. Uh, one of them was shot up with heroin and they were forced to take um, some very scandalous photos, which were posted online for the purpose of attracting commercial sex. 
Uh, so that was the first human trafficking case that I ever investigated. And kind of since then, that's, that's what I've been hooked on. That's been my passion. And there's a huge correlation uh, between human trafficking and, and drugs, uh, which I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about. But uh, that was back 2016. Uh, I was detective for a few years. I got promoted about a year and a half ago or so to sergeant. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, all roads lead back to patrol. Uh, so I was super excited to go back. Uh, but then an opening came back into our uh, special investigations unit. Um, so now I've, I've been back up here for, I guess, almost uh, nine, uh, 10 months now. Um, so our unit does human trafficking, gangs, uh, narcotics, and fugitive apprehension. Um, so between that and, and running our SWAT team and teaching all over the place, uh, as I know you uh, know the the good and the pain, right, of a, of a full plate. So uh, that's a little bit about me. And, and uh, again, very happy to be here. That's awesome. Hey, congratulations on that promotion, man. That's well-deserved. Thank you. Uh, hey, so let's talk about that link of human trafficking and drugs. Why don't you go into that a little bit for, for me? And what, what can patrol cops do to look for it? What crimes they've got? Uh, just what, what they can do. So here's the thing about human trafficking and, and why it's so difficult. Um, and I, I guess I should pause just a second as far as what the heck human trafficking really even is. And essentially the most simplistic way to explain human trafficking is it is somebody that is forcing another person into one of two things, either forced labor, which is labor trafficking or into forced commercial sex, which is sex trafficking. I focus on sex trafficking. That's what we see the most in the Bay area. Um, that is your pimps. Those are your exploiters that are manipulating, forcing, beating, uh, typically women into the commercial sex trade. A huge component of that is a pimp or an exploiter's ability to control their victims. And we see that through a multitude of ways. Uh, the most probably basic one or the easiest to wrap our minds around is an exploiter that beats their victims kind of into submission. And we see that, that cycle of abuse and trauma. But another key component that is routinely coming up in our investigations is the introduction of drugs into those relationships to control these victims. I just did a case, a uh, very interesting one, about a, a week or two ago. We had a runaway juvenile. She was 16 years old. And uh, the lady that works our runaways here at the police department said, hey, do you, you guys think you can go try to find her? She was a victim of trafficking. Um, a couple counties north of where we are, uh, but she's back in Pittsburgh. We don't know what's going on with her and we want to see how she's doing. So we ended up finding her at a house, hiding under a blanket. Um, she ended up coming back to the police department with us. And up to that point, she had not divulged what had happened to her in this other county. Uh, but we were able to build a rapport, which is if I can give if I can give a piece of advice or a little nugget to the patrol cops out there, when you first meet some of these folks that are involved in commercial sex, they, they more than likely aren't going to be willing to open up to you, especially on the side of a road somewhere during some traffic stop. So keep that kind of notion in mind. I'll, I'll touch on it a little bit, but it's not, don't get frustrated. It's because these folks have been traumatized over and over again, and they may not identify as a victim. So with this particular victim, she ended up opening up to us and we talked a lot 
about how her pimp uh, in this other county was also a cocaine dealer. And she had never done cocaine prior to meeting him. Essentially, she got picked up by him on social media, which is a huge part uh, of this puzzle with human trafficking. They met up. She was kind of from a, a broken home, had some abuse in her past, just kind of a troubled childhood, which is a, another red flag of, of human trafficking victims, especially juveniles. But he ended up picking her up, taking her to this other county and introduced her to cocaine. And at first she thought it was just kind of fun, right? You know, they were partying. Well, as that commercial sex and human trafficking started getting introduced, essentially this 16-year-old girl was forced to be in a hotel room for weeks at a time. And the way that he kept her on the hook was by feeding her cocaine. And she said by the, by the end of kind of this whole month that they were together, she was doing 10 to 15 lines a day um, just after, after a date before a date, just to try to get through the day. And just that one example is one of many where that, that guy's a drug dealer and he's a human trafficker and he knows about addiction. He's able to introduce that drug into the, into that atmosphere. And that's just a way of coercing a way of controlling. So that, that link is, is very much there. So pretty much, is it all just them pimping them out because you mentioned dates. Some people might not know what a date is. Yeah. So a date is kind of a loose term uh, used for basically a commercial sex act. So imagine there's, there's three words we kind of interchange, which is trafficker, exploiter, and pimp. But the basic way to look at it is this is pimping and pandering. So somebody who is making money from somebody else's commercial sex or prostitution, that's pimping, at least here in California, it's probably pretty similar most places. And then we also have the crime of pandering, which is essentially encouraging, coaching, procuring, helping, assisting somebody in prostitution. So um, that person takes on the role of a pimp. But what we're just kind of careful of is, you know, you got this old school um, belief of like a pimp being like the super flashy person, right? With like the clothes and the car and Exploiters take a, a number of different looks, all different kind of races, ethnicities, genders. There's male and female pimps for sure. Um, there's different ways that they control these girls. Some are violent. Some are actually really nice. It's called that idea of a Romeo pimp who essentially, you know, provides for um, somebody, you know, who doesn't have anything to begin with. Um, but what it really all stems back to and something that especially patrol cops and investigators of any type can take away, there's no typical victim, right? But we routinely see in the pasts and the history of our victims, some red flags, narcotics abuse, alcohol abuse, broken homes, runaways, um, sexual abuse. So a lot of these, and I, I say females, or can be male victims, but we primarily deal with females, a lot of those girls have a lot of those kind of sad building blocks in their past. So if you're, if you're a cop working in, and I just, one thing I want to piggyback on those, you, you mentioned uh, the exploiter can, can come in all different shapes and sizes, you know, it could be anybody. I, mean, I, I had one, there was a 16 year old boy. It was pimping out a 13 year old girl. And oh, sure. yeah. And I mean, you wouldn't think that, I mean, that was the first time I had that. I was, 
floored. Uh, what, what if, in that case, came about when we were buying dope from somebody at a hotel. So that one, we're, I mean, we, we knew what we were doing. We're good cops. We we're, we're handling things the way they need to be handled. But what if you're a patrol cop? You don't have a lot of experience. What are some of the things you're going to look for to cue you in? Because I could see a lot of new cops stopping a car, finding the big package of dope, and then having a guy and a girl together. And he's thinking, oh, it's just a sex worker. We're good. See you later. Grab my dope and go. What can they look for to make a better case? Yeah. So I'll take it from the top. And and I, I think that 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 notion is the pendulum we're trying to swing in law enforcement. And I'm sure I, you could talk about it. it's come a long way, right, of viewing commercial sex workers, not just as prostitutes, but as victims. Because I, I won't, you know, sugarcoat anything. There, there are women, men out there that are in that profession that do not have an exploiter that do it because they want to do it for whatever reason. But the vast majority of commercial sex workers that we come across, especially young females, they do have a pimp. And to what level that is and to what way they control that ju- or excuse me, that um, commercial sex worker, that just kind of depends. So I think it's number one, it's us as cops, including street cops, even if they don't have much experience, don't just view that person as a sex worker, view them as a victim first. And that's going to help you kind of set up for how you're going to attack this case. So there's probably two places that a patrol cop's likely to run into a commercial sex worker. One is the traffic stop and two is a domestic violence call. Um, That traffic stop that you're talking about, here's some things that you can look out for. Uh, Number one, if you have a male and a female in the car, it doesn't just automatically mean that there's commercial sex going on. But what about when you kind of start interviewing them? Is, is it more than just the boyfriend, girlfriend? Is there, does there seem to be kind of a sense of fear or a sense of not wanting to talk about that male counterpart in the car? Um, that can be a red flag. How is the female dressed? Um, just because a, a woman's wearing a, a skirt or a tight dress doesn't mean she's automatically a commercial sex worker, but now is she wearing that type of clothing? And she seems to be fearful of the guy. Well, that's another red flag. A few common items that you'll likely see during that traffic stop. So, you know, you're searching the car, you you find your dope, you're super pumped on that as you should be. But then you also find a bunch of condoms and maybe you find some lingerie. Another very key component are prepaid credit cards. So like vanilla cards, Visa cards because they'll use those to create their online profiles and to post their ads. Hotel room receipts, hotel keys. A lot of these things are things that, you know, a drug dealer may have anyway if they're staying at hotels. But it's all about putting those pieces together. Now maybe you have somebody that's hesitant to talk about to you. The clothing, ah, kind of indicative of a sex worker. There's a bunch of condoms, more than just a box or two like a boyfriend or girlfriend would maybe have. There's a bunch of lingerie, a bunch of toiletries. Um, it's almost like a mobile commercial sex center uh, and drug dealing center. So those are some of the, the main things that we see. And then certainly, depending on the level of cooperation you have, um, if she'll let you peek inside the phone you know, to see if she has any messages either coming from prospective clients um, or certainly between he and her that are indicative of commercial sex. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit at the time because I notice a lot of cops 
depending on where depending on where, where you're a cop at. But you know, like for us, nobody's really doing time for dope anymore. But they're but they're getting a huge amount of time for human trafficking. Can, can you just talk a little bit about the penalties of why why you would want to go after human trafficking? Besides the moral issue, I mean, you should be doing it because it's the right thing to do, and you should rescue people that need rescuing. But what about the penalties that people get out of this? I see it as just kind of the next echelon that us as law enforcement can use uh, to to put bad people in jail uh, when they may not get held as accountable as we wish they would for drugs or things of those nature. The vast majority of pimps that we arrest, uh, we find firearms, we find drugs. So what's nice about it, and I'll talk kind of the specifics in a second, what's nice about it is you're still going to be able to get the, the things you're, you're, you know, passionate about and going after firearms, drugs. Like if that's your jam, I love it. I'm just trying to hope that you can sprinkle in some commercial sex work. If that exists in that case, because you're going to get the bigger penalties. So in California, there's almost two levels. There's pimping and pandering, uh, which, Again, pimping is you get money for somebody's prostitution, pandering, essentially coaching. So those two things are crimes in of itself. Those are both state prison crimes right off the bat. The next echelon is our penal code for human trafficking. And that requires, at least for adults, it requires a deprivation of liberty. So some of the things we've been talking about by force, by coercion, by fraud, Depending on what that person does in those cases, those can be 15, 20 year and up cases. In California, one thing that California does right is the penal code section for um, human trafficking of a minor. In California, if you even attempt to pimp or pander a juvenile, you don't even have to be successful. If I'm a pimp and I pick up a 15 year old and I drive out somewhere and I post an ad for that juvenile online for commercial sex work, I have completed the crime of human trafficking right there. So in those cases, those triads go up to, I want to say they start at 6, 9, 12, and and so on. And then if you add violence into it, it just continues to go. So um, my biggest push with folks is, hey, be a drug cop, be a gun cop. But just be somewhat educated in human trafficking, pimping and pandering. So if that is there, because it is, that way you can start to tack on these additional crimes, which are, are really going to uh, pack a punch later on. So it's, it's interesting. You know, you're, you're, it, it seems like a lot of it comes down to questioning, too. You know, when you got a car stopped and asking the right questions and using their responses to elicit, you know, emotion so they – understand that you're there to help what what are some things you ask victims and what are some of the things that you ask suspects when you're on a stop yeah it's a really good question so the the traffic stop is probably the most difficult setting to try to peel back what you have and the reason is number one you're in the middle of who knows where right uh, some some backcountry road some city street you, you can be anywhere Depends on what time of day it is. How many cops do you have there, right, to help you kind of navigate this situation? Because at the very end of the day, like human trafficking victimology 101, these victims are typically trauma bonded to their exploiters. And it's a very interesting 
aspect where this victim, whether it's by force or fear or coercion, has bonded themselves to that exploiter. And trying to get through those layers of trauma on the side of a road are very, very difficult. So my best advice to a couple of cops on a traffic stop, number one, if you can find, if, if you believe some of the signs and symptoms we saw, if you see those there, the clothing, the way they're acting, the condoms, the hotel, blah, blah, blah. My very first piece of advice, find, see if there's something you can take the male component to jail for, okay? Whether it's drugs or a suspended license, I guess, depending on your jurisdiction or a warrant or something, because we want that separation to happen between that victim and that suspect. That's, that's absolutely key. So if you can make that work, that's great. Let's say it's just not there though. Best advice would be to pull both of them to the side. If I'm speaking to the victim, I'm, I'm not going right for the million dollar question of, Hey, is this guy your pimp? Are you being trafficked? Because the automatic trauma bonded based response is going to be, of course not. I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I have no idea what's going on. So my best advice for that side of the road conversation with a victim, just ask her about herself. Hey, what, what's your relationship like with this guy over here? What do you, what do you do for a living? Where do you live? Usually they're going to associate themselves as a girlfriend to that other person. They'll say, it's my boyfriend. Um, you know, it's my friend and try to get through some of those questions with the suspect, really the same thing, right? Who is this to you? What's going on? You know, why do you know why she kind of dresses this way? You know, is she kind of maybe involved in some stuff? Maybe, maybe try to distance him, at least in his own mind, uh, from what she could potentially be doing. But at the very end of the day, what I, what I advise and what I train is figure out in your agency what the next step would be if you do have to let them drive away on scene. There's nothing to arrest them for. She doesn't talk to you. She doesn't provide any context. At the end of the day, there, there's truly nothing besides all the signs and symptoms that you saw. There's no drug charge to arrest them on, no firearm, whatever. Because the next step and the very key component is where you refer that information to. Um, so if you work for an agency that has dedicated human trafficking folks, perfect. Maybe it's an email, maybe it's an info report, something like that. Hey, you guys need to know about this. I stopped uh, John and Susie. Here was all the things that we saw. And it was it was just really weird. I couldn't break through because now they can run with it. Um, or maybe it's a sexual assault detective that does human trafficking. So best advice, get the best background and context that you can. Tr if you believe that's what's going on, try to get through to her. But you may not want to just go straight for the, hey, is this guy trafficking you? Is this guy pimping you? They're going to tell you no, right? Um, so it, the the bad reality of it is, I pull a car over, I have a reason to search it, I find drugs or guns. Great, they're mine. That I know that we're good to go. And then whatever direction we take with it, this human trafficking, pimping, pandering, it may take multiple interactions to get there. So don't get frustrated, uh, but really try to get the historical background of the two that you're talking to. So the other. Good advice. The other big question that I get all the time is uh, an Asian massage parlor popped up on my beat. What do I do? And I think people don't realize they're, they're, that 
that obviously there are some Asian massage parlors where they're out there to make money, but there are some where they're actually importing women from Asia and bringing them in. So what can a beat cop, tell us a little bit about them, how they work, and then what can a beat cop do to uh, get more in, intel on that and figure out what to do? Yeah, so they those tend to pop up. I mean, are, are they popping up even up there in Idaho and everything? Oh, yeah, dude, I see them. Even in Idaho, I see them. Yeah. I drive by and I think to myself, why aren't the cops hitting this? This is like the easiest thing here because we have such great laws where people actually do time. Right. And, you know, unlike other places. And, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the first piece is, right, if you're if you're a cop off duty and you're looking for a massage, don't go to one of those places, right? Go, go, go to the <laughs> local spa, you know, go – uh, go to a sports massage place or whatever. Don't, don't, don't think, you know, cause it says foot spa. If it's an Asian massage parlor, there is likely more going on. So that's, you know, that's, that's one-on-one, like just find somewhere else to go get your, your sports massage. Um, but what do we do about them? So there's a few things you can do. Um, number one, I'm not opposed at all to a street cop, uh, while on duty, stopping by there and see what's going on, right? Go in, introduce yourself, say, Hey, uh, I'm officer so-and-so, um, maybe, you know, grab your, your beat partner, go in there and, and say, Hey, we, we recently noticed your, your business opened up. Uh, we're kind of curious as to what's going on. Um, do you guys have, and then this is what you go in there kind of armed with know your jurisdiction and know what type of, um, signage and paperwork they're supposed to have most, at least cities in the Bay Area, and I, I don't know how it is you know, all over the place, but probably pretty similar. There's a lot of municipal codes that go to governing certain businesses. Here in Pittsburgh, if you have a massage parlor, there's a, a plethora of stuff you're supposed to have. You're not supposed to have neon signs. You're not supposed to um, cover your windows. You're supposed to have certain documentation. And those are all things you can go while you're 10-8, just walk in uh, in uniform and say, Hey, I'm, I'm just kind of checking out your business. So that's one. And, and I don't have too much of a problem doing that. And, and that may help solve a problem in and of itself. So the second thing is if, if you're going to work these right as an, as a, uh, a city or a sheriff's office or whatever, there's, there's kind of two ways you can do it. So the most traditional way for a, massage parlor is you typically send an undercover officer in. Usually there's, you know, some type of uh, comms that you go in there with, uh, whether it's a cell phone or whatnot. And essentially what you're trying to discover is if you're offered a commercial sex act. So you got to be careful, right? Because there's that very fine line, you know, a UC officer goes in and gets a massage. And then next thing you know, certain private parts are getting grabbed and, and such. So there's a, there's a liability and just kind of it's 2022 piece to this, that you, you got to be careful and cognizant with that. But if you go in and at, at, at the very bare minimum, you are offered some type of sex act, you can say, no, no, I, I was only here for the massage, but that's going to be enough to get you your PC for your warrant. So maybe you, Maybe you watch it for a couple of days. There's foot traffics, more than what a massage parlor would be. Then you send an officer in, and sure enough, they they kind of uh, offer that that sex act. Kind of the the old school way and methodology would be: okay, cool, we got our PC for our warrant. We go write that out, and next day we go in there with a bunch of cops and we shut it down. The problem is, is it doesn't really work sometimes, right? It doesn't really shut it down. Sure. You get there, 
you go in there and you know you're with there are you all your buddies we know what's going on maybe you have enough to arrest somebody inside uh for pimping and pandering but in all reality they're probably just going to pop up somewhere else or um they're going to uh it, it just shut it down for a week and and reopen the way i've seen better success is depending on your jurisdiction, getting other agencies involved. And what I'm talking about are the folks that control businesses, taxes, and really the money behind it. Uh, I watched a really good presentation uh, from a couple of guys uh, at the um, Western States Information Network uh, training conference last year. A couple of guys from Anderson PD, which is a very small agency up by Reading. They did one hell of a investigation into uh, multiple Asian massage parlors that were conducting prostitution. And the way that they went about it is they got in contact with state folks that could go after the money. So that's a whole nother component to it. That's kind of that next echelon. Um, but certainly anybody that's uh, listening that wants to talk more about the specifics of those Asian massage parlors, um, certainly hit me up and, and, uh, you know, Keith, you have my, my contact yeah. info. Uh, but I would say rung one, go say hi, rung two, work it organically in your agency, send in the UC, get your PC, see if you can shut it down and then work with your city or county to get that business license revoked. And then that next echelon would be, okay, this is taking more. There's multiple. Let's get some state agencies involved. Let's really go after the money. So, you know, it's funny. So I had, you talk about going in and, and just talking to people. I did that all the time. And yeah. when you walk in, you watch all the men in there basically just crap their pants. Like, Oh no, you know, and right away, you know, what's oh, yeah. up. And they're like, Oh I, yeah. And then, or what I would do too is uh, I would sit on it. When a guy leaves, I would run plates, find a guy on probation with a search clause I'd pull him over for a probation search and then talk to him and he'd give it up because he doesn't want a probation violation. So he tell you everything that's going on in there. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount either like, uh, you know, that, you know, that's on the patrol side, but on the investigation side, what I found work too was uh, we, we'd sit on it and find out who the owner is, you know, like the main worker. And then we get a warrant to put a tracker on their car and then we would follow them and we'd see all the different ones that they have. And so as an example, I can think of one where the guy had four different ones throughout the Bay Area. And then we found that they had a, a stash house for the women. Yeah. So like all of them were going to one, all from all four places were all going to one house. And I mean, to the point of you could see when they walked out, they were issuing people like what they needed for that day. And I mean, it was perfect. And uh, we ended up pulling over one of the cars, finding out that, you know, obviously they're, you know, they're all there illegally. And uh, we just called ICE, and ICE jumped on it with money, resources, and everything. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff you can do out of those cases. Yeah, and, and um, just to, to give folks kind of a tangible thing that they can do, whether it's um, the massage parlors or any commercial sex cases, the vast majority of folks involved in this have ads online. And the ads are found at a multitude of different websites, but there's a very good law enforcement search engine called Spotlight. And Spotlight is ran by a company called Thorn.org. It was actually co-founded by Ashton Kutcher, of all folks, um, mm -hmm. who's very, very uh, 
mission minded to to stop human trafficking, especially with juveniles. Spotlight is a tool uh, that any police officer in the United States can get. And it's a pretty simple process. Again, something I can walk somebody through specifically. But um, essentially, what you're able to do on Spotlight is you're able to search either by geographical area, by phone number, or by photo to search for victims of human trafficking. And what's nice about that is I now have a lot of patrol cops here at my agency that have access to Spotlight. And when they come across these traffic stops, and again, at the end of the day, they don't have enough to, to do anything else besides let them go. They'll come back, they'll jump on Spotlight, run phone numbers, run pictures. Voila, there's some ads right there in front of you. And I get an email saying, hey, this is what we got, who we have, et cetera. And you brought up GPS trackers. That's our number one stop on, on these cases. Um, so huge, huge tool. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You've been very gracious with your time. I appreciate it. Uh, is there anything else that you want these guys to know before uh, before we end it? Well, first, thanks for having me. It's it's uh, it's great to connect with you. Um, just the the basic takeaways, right? Human trafficking, pimping, pandering, the commercial sex worker, or excuse me, the commercial sex trade. It exists. It's it's very very prevalent in every single jurisdiction. Um, I can type in any city in the United States, and somewhere close, you're going to have a hub for for commercial sex. It's just a sad reality. Um, it's one of those things that, that requires, uh, just a little bit more in-depth knowledge as you go through your career, um, in learning, but know this, there is a, a direct connection to the things that most street cops like to go after, right? Guns and drugs. There's a direct correlation to it. Um, and when you start working those cases, investigating the commercial sex aspect of it, if it exists are only going to help you build better dope cases, better gun cases, and, and keep people accountable. So I'm available to anyone, anytime. I, I teach up and down the state of California. Um, I, I'm reachable by email, by phone, and and certainly if there's any questions or concerns or you want to know a little bit more, I'm, I'm always available to anybody. Thanks, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, for our listeners, if you could do me a favor, uh, hit like, rate, subscribe us, leave a comment. All that stuff makes it so people can see us and uh, make us visible. So that's it for now. Stay safe. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves. We'd love to hear your comments and respond to your questions in future episodes. Visit our accompanying website at www.onlinedrugtraining.com for more information, advice, training, and to get in touch. And join us again on the next edition of the Drug Training Podcast.